groovy. Hello there, and welcome back to a new episode of the Hyperbaric Reviews. With your two hosts, two men who never mess around with books with sticky pages, it's Bread Roll and JT. <laughs> Not this day and age, Bread Roll, but maybe when I was a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but again, that's a rabbit hole we won't go down. So um, we're back again, everyone. This is four weeks in a row, is it now, or something stupid? This is getting pretty bad, or pretty good, depending on how you see it. Um, your choice this week, Bread Roll. Um, not a film I'd normally even think about, so what are we looking at? Well, this week, JT, I went for Evil Dead, and slightly controversial, I didn't go for the original Evil Dead, I went for the remake from 2013, which is directed by Fede Alvarez. I think that's how you say his name, but it's probably wrong. Do apologise. It stars Jane Levy and Shiloh Fernandez. It came out fully on April 5th, 2013. It runs for 92 minutes. It had a budget of 17 million, but it had a box office of 97.5 million. So it certainly did the business. And I did see this one in the cinema myself. Oh, did you? See, I'd never seen it before. And I'm not sure. I must have seen the original, but I'm not 100% sure if I have or not kind of think I have but I couldn't actually tell you 100% if I have or not I mean I guess this one was living off the original so the title was going to draw it in but it did really well at the box office didn't it it did and it's one of those things when you look at it it came out in April you would have thought they'd have saved a movie like this for the sort of Halloween season but either way it certainly did well at the box office and like you say definitely living off the name because the original is a bit of a kind of classic it's certainly a I don't controversially again I don't Although I love the Evil Dead franchise, it's one of my favourites. Evil Dead 2 um, and Evil Dead 3 are fucking amazing. But I've never been a big fan of the original Evil Dead. It's just, and even um, Sam Raimi, who makes it, Evil Dead was 2 was kind of a remake and a sequel at the same time, just because Evil Dead 1, for one reason or another, just wasn't really that great and didn't really live up to the potential. So I went to the cinema to see this thinking, oh, well, this is going to be, I'm not sure what I'm going to be in for here because I don't usually like remakes, especially remakes of movies that I, you know, obviously I'm a fan of the franchise, but I was pleasantly surprised and I've watched it a couple of times over the years. And as soon as it popped up on Netflix, I was like, right, I'm going to get JT to watch this because this movie is slightly ridiculous and he might just enjoy it. Well, I nearly watched the wrong film, didn't I? It's a good job I watched <laughs> you last night, otherwise we wouldn't have managed this episode at all this week because I nearly watched, what's it called? Another Evil, Evil Dead, Dead yeah, that's yeah. it. I saw it and I was about to put it on. I, I don't know, there's something in the back of my head. I thought, right, there's a few Evil Dead films. Before I watch this, I better text him just to make sure. It's a bloody good job I did. Yeah, definitely. I, I have seen Evil Dead Rise, and I've got to say, I'm not a huge fan of it. Um, the, the later half of it was pretty good fun, but no, it's definitely this one I want you to go for. Otherwise, we'd have been on completely a different wavelength tonight for this review. Which... <laughs> it could have been interesting, couldn't it? Um, I mean, I was excited as well about the running time. I mean, Rise was 97 minutes. This was 91 or 92. I was like, wow. I even said to you, it's going to get one other just for the running time, even if I hate the <laughs> film. Um, I mean, just looking at the cast, though, I didn't recognise any of the names. Obviously, Jane Levy, Levy, however you want to say it, she was in um, I Don't Feel at Home in This World anymore, wasn't she? So shameless plug to a podcast we did a few weeks back. Um, so I did. I sort of thought I recognised that name, but I didn't really recognise anyone else in it. Yeah, I didn't either. They're just those kind of normal kind of teenage, well, I'd say people who are supposed to be teenagers, but they're really in their 30s that usually get thrown into these sort of movies. But the old um, director there, um, Fede Alvarez, I think that's his name, he's quite um, prominent in the horror um, genre, and he's actually just done the latest Alien movie. It's due out next year, and it's uh, called Alien Romulus. I don't know if that's the name it's going to stick with when it actually comes out. But, yeah, he's um, just done the latest Alien movie in the vein of uh, Prey, which we also reviewed a while back. So kind of a soft reboot of a sci-fi franchise that we're both a fan of. 
Oh, interesting. I mean, I did read a little bit about him just on IMDb and Wiki. Um, he's really into his CGI, but he insisted on using sort of body horror for this, didn't he? He's a little throwback to the original, which is quite good. Yeah, yeah, he did. And I think it's all the better for it. There is a couple of ropey bits of CGI in this, um, particularly in the opening scene. Um, but for the most part, it is like uh, practical effects. And I, as you know, I've said it a thousand times and I'll say it again, I love practical effects, especially in horror. And I think it just does a better job than the CGI would have done. Absolutely. Yep. And then a couple of other bits there as well is um, apparently they used about 70,000 gallons of fake blood for this compared to the... Uh, um, I think it was 200 to 300 gallons um, that they used for the original movie. I mean, this movie is fucking brutal and it's gnarly as fucking completely ridiculous. And obviously we're touching it as we go for the synopsis. But um, I don't know where they get all this fake blood from, but they fucking pump through it for this one. One particular scene as well, you 50,000 gallons, and I'm sure you know which scene. Are we talking about the end scene, possibly? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah I was going to say, surely that scene must have used two thirds of it and you just confirmed that. Um yeah, it doesn't surprise me. There's a lot of blood in this film, or fake blood. Yeah. And also, um, just another little fact before we get going. Um, unlike a lot of films, this film was mainly shot in sequence, which not many films are because of practicalities and stuff. But because it's a contained movie and it kind of needs to escalate as it goes along, the Evil Dead 2 was also shot in um, sequence as well, pretty much. Um, but it doesn't usually happen in the Hollywood world, but they managed to do it for this movie. Would have been difficult. I mean, I'm no expert at shooting movies, I've never done it, but well, it would have been difficult to shoot this out of sequence because there's so much makeup and stuff going on in a lot of the scenes, it would have been just impossible. Yeah, yeah, you would have thought. I mean, I know why, obviously, on big scale movies because they're all over the place and they've got to factor in, obviously, availability of actors and editing time and everything, but it's just got to be a bit of ball ache, hasn't it? Been if you're an actor and you've just done like a really intense scene or something or a big action sequence, and it's like, right, we're going back two scenes before this when you sat in the coffee shop having a chat, and it's like, I'm not really in the mindset for that, but that's movie making for you. That's what to get paid for, bread roll as well. Exactly, and they get paid a fucking lot, some of them, Tom Cruise, you bastard. Well, they're all back now, aren't they? They're not striking anymore. So I think the right of strike and all that's off. So hopefully they might start making some stuff again. We might get some actual new sort of TV series in there. Hopefully, as long as it's good stuff as well. That's uh, that's the main thing. But um, that's a matter of opinion. So each their own, really. So. Yeah, let's not go off on a tangent about that. <laughs> cool. So uh, let's take a crack at this one then. As always, the synopsis is coming from Wikipedia and it goes a little something like this. A girl is tied up in the cellar of a remote cabin where an old woman is reciting incantations from a strange book. The girl reveals her demonic possession and her father, Harold, sets her ablaze and shoots her in the head. Sometime later, David Allen and his girlfriend, Natalie, arrive in the cabin with their dog, Grandpa, where they meet her estranged sister, Mia, and their friends, Eric and Olivia. The group plans to stay in the cabin while Mia overcomes a heroin addiction. Mia begins having withdrawal symptoms. David discovers that the cabin cellar is littered with rotting animal corpses, a worn double-barrel shotgun, and a book called the Nectorum de Monta, or Necronomicon. So there we are. There's the opening to this one, JT. And there is a little bit of ropey CGI here when um, old Harold, as apparently his name is, sets his daughter on fire. But apart from that, the opening's pretty fucking dark and grim and kind of sets the tone for the rest of the movie. What were your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. I mean, it doesn't really let up from start to finish this film, does it? It opens with um, the girl wandering about in the woods. She's obviously not in a good way. There's blood dripping off her. She's staggering around. And then um, she sees that figure in the distance. She so hides behind a tree. And next thing, there's someone right next to her. She turns around. They stick a bag over her head. She gets knocked out, kidnapped. 
and then she's tied up, being set on fire. Um, she obviously, at first, you think, shit, this is really bad. She's like, oh, daddy, what are you doing? It's weird when you see these, well, teenagers or whatever they're supposed to be calling their dad daddy. They seem to always do it in these films. I mean, my daughter's 10, and she stopped calling me daddy now. I'm just dad, which that frustrates me a bit, but, you know. Um, and you're like, oh, my God, poor girl. And then, obviously, it turns out she's a fucking demon. Um, he sets her on fire and shoots her head off. I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah, so you know, say it's pretty full on, isn't it? And then you sort of see her roaming around. And then we cut to um, some time later, it says in the synopsis. I mean, I don't know what the actual time scale is. It can't be that long, but a couple of years, maybe. And one, it's weird when you watch a film like this, knowing that it's a remake, because you always think, they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to the old family cabin. Who the fuck would own a cabin like this? It's a manky rundown in the middle of nowhere sack of shit. Now, what sort of family are you from? And it's like... Who would own it, let alone even want to fucking go there to try and get off drugs? It'd probably make you want to go on drugs going into a fucking cabin this haggard. But it's so cliche, but it's kind of a remake of the movie that invented the cliche. So you've kind of got to give it a pass in this. But I always think in these movies, like, why the fuck would anyone willingly choose to go to a place like this? Because I wouldn't. And I love horror. I mean, I do have that in, in my notes. This is, I mean, it's, as we say quite often about 101s, this is horror 101. Um, but, you know, I'll, I'll give my thoughts on it at the end. So I will say, straight away, Eric annoyed me, and that didn't change throughout the whole film. And I was like, the dog's called Grandpa. What the fuck's that about? <laughs> I don't know, strange name for a dog. I don't know if that's a throwback to anything. You, you obviously know a bit more about the whole franchise than I do. And then David gives me that necklace when they sort of meet up for the first time in a while, it would appear. And I just knew that was going to pay, play a part at the end, which shock horror it does. Yeah, yeah, it always does. I mean, Grandpa doesn't ring a bell, but there are a lot of Easter eggs in this um, one. One in particular, when he goes around the back of the cabin, she sat in an old haggard car, and I can't remember the make of the car, but that's the same car that Ash, played by Bruce Campbell in the original Evil Dead, drives. And that same car features in pretty much every Sam Raimi movie. He's just got something about it. So his movies like Drag Me to Hell... Um, I think even Doctor Strange, he did one of them recently, which is quite amusing, even though it was really CGI heavy. Pretty much all the movies that he does has that car in it. And I think it might have been the first car he ever owned. That's why he likes it in his movies. But um, that was a nod because it was Ash's car from the original movie. Uh, now, I've heard that somewhere before. Have we done a Sam Raimi film in our long and um, whatever you want to call it existence on, on this podcast? I'm sure we have, haven't we? We must have done. I can't remember for the life of me what it is, but we have been doing this for a few years now. So um, there probably is something Sam Raimi related down the line. Did you do that zombie film we did? It was on Netflix. Was that him? Possibly. Anyway, because that I definitely <laughs> have, I've definitely have heard that before, and I believe it's probably you who told me that. So it's probably on this podcast. If you know, answers on a postcard, please. I mean, one thing to say about Mia, she does start freaking out, obviously, but not mainly because of her heroin draw, because she's possessed, but. She seems pretty casual about it when she's just like, oh, yeah, well, I'm going to go cold turkey now and just chucks her smack down the well. I'm like, okay, you're pretty cool about all this. Yeah, and they also say, don't they, you've got, like, um, Eric and Olivia, and they're like, oh, we've done this before because her brother's quite strange mm. and everything, and we sort of find out, obviously, there's always a bit of backstory that he left for college or he just went somewhere and left Mira at home with their sick mother or something, so that's why she's a bit messed up. But Eric and Olivia say... um, Obviously, we, we, she's done this before every few years. She just kind of decides she's going to get clean and then she ruins it again. But I definitely know what you mean about um, David. He's such a shit character. Like, all the way through this film, he's so just bland. And he's a bit of a shit actor as well, really. And, yeah, he's not really likable throughout the whole movie. I agree with you on that. Well, it's Eric I said I didn't like. Eric, sorry. Yeah. 
I didn't particularly gel with any of them, but I think that's the point, which I'll cover at the end. Um, I mean, as well, obviously, she's going on about how the place fucking stinks and everything. Then they, they find the blood and they realise there's a door down to the, the um, cellar. I mean, they see those dead cats. Amazingly, for a start, the light works, which is quite impressive. When I thought the light's never going to work. Oh, it has. Um, but that's, you know, they never do in these horror films normally. But, I mean, the minute you saw those dead cats hanging, I would not be going any further into that cellar. I'd be like, fuck this, I'm off, wouldn't you? This whole thing is, so, this is fucking students, and this is why they piss me off. It's like, we're going into some haggard-ass fucking, I don't know, cabin that probably looks like the inside of an asshole and probably smells like one as well. And it's like, oh, yeah, let's clean it up and make it livable, which they do, to be fair to them. But how the fuck have they managed to clean the whole place and not notice that under the rug on the carpet is a trap door with loads of fucking blood smeared around it? Which one of these pricks put the hoover around and didn't even move the fucking rug when they were doing it? How the fuck <laughs> do you even say you've cleaned the house? You don't even move the fucking rug, let alone open it up. And like you say, you see loads of like dead cats and a fucking book that's like wrapped in fucking tampons and spunk and everything and think, oh, yeah, let's take that. There's now a little read about it and all that sort of stuff. They're fucking stupid. They should have just gone because I'd have been out of there straight away. Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, obviously, as I said, this is horror 101. I mean, the good thing is that they've got here is that obviously me is the heroin addict and they're trying to keep her there to get her off heroin because, as you said there, and something I sort of picked up on straight away when I said, oh, she seems pretty casual about this. But then I, obviously, they, as you said, she's got previous of just giving up um, or giving up her... Uh, cold turkey not giving up heroin unfortunately um so i suppose they've got that keeping them there but i don't even think that i'd be like right can we just take you somewhere else please because this place is a shithole and there's dead cats everywhere and i'm just going home yeah yeah i'd have been straight out of there heroin or no i'd have been like where is your heroin i'm gonna fucking need some of i'm gonna stay there. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so um eric reads an incantation from the book awakening a malevolent force mia begins seeing a demonic doppelganger of herself in the woods she steals Eric's car to leave but crashes into a pond. The force chases her into the woods where vines trap her. Mia's doppelganger possesses her via the vines. David finds Grandpa beaten to death with a hammer and discovers Mia scolding herself. That night, a possessed Mia wounds David with a shotgun and vomits red bile onto Olivia's face before Eric looks, uh, locks her in the basement. A possessed Olivia uh, mutilates her face and stabs Eric with a hypodermic needle before he bludgeons her to death. Mia lures Natalie into the cellar and bites her hand before slicing her own tongue. David helps Natalie escape. And that charming little synopsis there pretty much is this movie just kicking itself in the full gear. It does not hang about at all. Like you say, you said that. Obviously, um, Mia's having a hard time with her withdrawal, but in the end, she just decides to fuck off. She's like walking around in the rain, isn't she? Spots herself in the woods, steals the fucking motor, crashes it, and then gets fucked by a tree and then suddenly possessed by herself, which is pretty much Evil Dead 101, really. Yeah, I mean, she, she must jump out the window, I'm assuming, because they sort of goes into a room and then Eric, I think, opens the door and the window's open and like, shit, and off she goes. I mean, obviously it said there as well, Eric opens the book. The thing's fucking bound in barbed wire. It's got blood in it saying, don't fucking do this, or it says leave the book alone, I think, one of the pages, written in blood, or it's red. I'm just like, I'm not even touching this book, but he's well into it, isn't he? I mean, fair enough, I suppose. But if he didn't, the film wouldn't have happened. But, yeah, I mean, as well, when you said there, she gets fucked by Vine. She does, don't, doesn't she? She go up her dress and between her legs. I'm like, okay. Yeah, it's a bit more kind of obvious what's happening in the original, and it pretty much gave Wednesday 13 enough material to write three albums of songs about. 
um, <laughs> back in the day. But yeah, she definitely does get fucked by a tree and then obviously possessed. And it's fucking, I mean, obviously it's horrific, don't get me wrong. But again, it's just the use of practical effects make it just so kind of co-telling because obviously all the makeup they put on her, she's really good. I mean, she's like obviously looking absolutely terrified as I'm sure you would be if there was a vine going up your ass. But um yeah, I just think the acting is actually pretty solid from her. I mean, David, as I said, I don't like him. And you're right, Eric's a complete bellend. Fucking looks like Kid Rock who went to college. Now he's going to read a stupid book. Fucking kill everyone with it. Little twat. But um, yeah. yeah, I think for the most part, Mia is, um, she's really good old Jane Levy in this. Oh, she's very good in it. Yeah, definitely. I do like it as well when she's driving away. How many times does she say fuck? About a hundred times <laughs> before she crashes into that pond, doesn't she? Yeah, it's like me trying to play burnout. So many times I say fuck when I'm about to fucking crash in this, isn't it? It did make me jump actually. When she's obviously she gets out of the the car and she's sort of crawling through the swamp, and um, she gets to the the edge of it, and then the demon just pops out. It was a bit of a jump scare, and it did. Well, I didn't say I wouldn't say I jumped off my sofa, but I was a bit ooh when that happened. Yeah, yeah, it was really good. I remember fucking clenching my ass in the cinema when that happened. I think a bit of popcorn <laughs> as well, but um, yeah, it was pretty good up on a, on the big screen. And obviously they say they obviously they find her and bring her back and that. And this always upsets me in a movie because I don't give a shit how many people die, but whenever an animal dies, a poor fucking grandpa being found dead, I was like, oh man, why do they have to fucking kill the dog? That's always the stuff that gets me. Yeah, I've got that as well. I wasn't, wasn't really a fan of that. Um, I mean, when they first get her back to the cabin... And I can see why, but Olivia's being a complete dick. Like, they're like, let's just fucking go. And she's like, nah, that's right, just keep her, it'll be fine. I mean, Olivia's a complete dick throughout this film. And then David tells Mia to take a shower, and I'm like, is there even a shower in this um, cabin? Because it's a shithole, but there is. But it's not a very nice shower, is it? No, it's pretty grim, but it's pretty fucking horrible. Because old fucking kid rock, Eric, he's been reading the book, and it's like all these sacrifices have to happen, and they happen in a certain way, don't they? Like the scolding of the flesh and all this stuff. And he seems to be just like, all this shit's going on. And he's just stuck in his fucking room reading this fucking book or something. It's like, lend a hand, mate. But he reads the one about, like, the scolding of the, the victim. And old fucking Mia, her fucking skin's peeling and everything. I don't know how high she's got that shower, but it's pretty gross the way, like, her fucking skin and that's coming off. I mean, I've been burnt by a shower, but not to that extent. I've been like, ooh, and had to fucking turn it down. But my skin hasn't started peeling off. Um, yeah, Eric's been a complete dick, and I've got that here. I mean, I've said at the start, I didn't like him throughout the whole film. Um, but he just, like, like you just said, got his head buried in this book. He doesn't seem to be telling anyone about what's going on. Surely at this point now, he'd be like, right, shit's starting to go down. Maybe I should kind of uh, tell people what I've seen. But he doesn't, does he? Not for ages. Yeah. <laughs> oh, fucking me. I mean, old David, he's a wet blanket. And again, I don't like him very much. But he keeps going over to try and help his sister. But he's having, she's having fucking none of it, is she? And ends up nearly fucking blowing him away with a shotgun pukes all over his fucking Olivia's face and everything as a synopsis said there and it's just generally going completely fucking mental and then they throw her down obviously the basement and lock her away for a little while but um again it's pretty full on and like the puking stuff you know practically probably how they did it there was like a pipe on the other side of the camera that was doing it but it still looked pretty fucking genuine to me I thought it looks really good so much comes out of her mouth I mean David he is bland as you said um I mean he He's a bit of a magician as well, because he goes down to the basement. No one seems to help him to get the dead cats, which he said he would. So fair play, he did what he said he would. He manages to put them all in one bin bag, though, I noticed. That's just when he goes off and finds a dog, isn't it? But he, there was quite a few dead cats and whatever hanging up, but he's only got one bin bag. So he did well stuffing them all in that one bag. He certainly did as well. And I assume it was a heavy duty bin bag, because the ones I buy from Aldi are fucking rubbish. <laughs> 
Oh, yeah, well, I won't go into the bin bag thing, otherwise we'll open another can of worms. Also, <laughs> he, get, he gets shot. He seems to recover from it pretty quick. I mean, it just it looks like the bullet might just graze his arm, possibly, but he doesn't seem that bothered about it. He sort of, at first, he sort of falls back as he would, but then he just gets up and carries on. I guess all the other shit's going on. Maybe he's sort of high on adrenaline, but he doesn't seem to be that fast. He's just been shot, does he? He doesn't. And they got obviously that Olivia character who is absolutely annoying um, throughout all this. And she's like the medical student. And that's kind of like just a, what a bandage almost for plot holes, isn't it? It's like, oh, no matter what happens, we've got a medical student here. They will fucking solve everything. And to be fair to her, she does. Like I say, he's been fucking shot. But she manages to bandage him up with whatever she's got in her bag. And it seems to do the fucking job. But this bit, again, coming up is pretty gnarly when she starts fucking cutting her face and all that sort of shit. And there's like glass in her eye and all that bollocks. And it's like, fucking hell. It's, it looks so fucking gnarly. But again, it kind of makes you cringe a bit. Oh, yeah, it made me cringe a few bits in this film. Does she piss herself before she goes in there and starts cutting her face off, or did I imagine that? No, no, she does. I don't know if she does it in there before she goes mental or mm. beforehand um, or anything after Mia like, fucking pukes to death on her. But, um, yeah, she definitely does piss herself at one point or the other. I thought she did, because oh, there's a bit as well, when Eric goes in there and finds her, and he, she obviously attacks him, and he pulls that fucking needle out of his eye. I thought, oh, that's pretty gnarly. Yeah. But he 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 slips over, doesn't he, on a bit of her face that she's peeled off and smacks his head on the toilet, which breaks the toilet, and then he just bludgeons her to death of it, which is pretty brutal. Yeah, and it doesn't really leave much to the imagination, does it? It's just like fucking he's like hammering the absolute shit out of her. I mean, I would as well, some crazy bitch who cut her face off was coming after me, I'd do whatever I had to, obviously I wouldn't want to, but yeah, he's fucking he's swinging for his life, isn't he? He certainly is. And then as a synopsis said there, Natalie goes down to the cellar and I know Mia tricks her, but I don't think I'll be going down there. But at this point, no, Natalie has seen, hasn't she, what's going on? Because she goes into the bathroom and sees Olivia battered to death and everything. And David sends her off to go and get something. Um, but yeah, she goes down to the cellar instead. And then obviously, as it says there, it's pretty brutal when old Mia cuts her tongue. But it is quite funny what she says to Natalie, which I can't repeat because it's probably a word that will get us cancelled. But <laughs> that line did make me laugh. But then... yeah. How long has Natalie been down there before David comes to get her? Because it looks like Mia knocks her out at one point. I don't know what the time frame is, but eventually he does come and fucking drag her out. I mean, it's this tiny little cabin. I don't get how they all kind of go so long about noticing what the other's doing. Like we said before, like Eric's just sat upstairs reading his book like a little fucking asshole while all this shit's going on and not even lending a hand or taking notice or anything. And then, like you said, Natalie goes down to the cellar, which again is typical movie horror movie stupidity it's like why the fuck would you get down there after you've seen what she's done puked black blood everywhere fucking turned into all this weird shit and done all this crazy stuff yet you're still going to go down there i guess it's just that naivety we're supposed to expect but natalie as a character doesn't really do a lot in this movie she's kind of just floats around in the background until this scene and then she's possessed um spoiler alert and obviously does a bit of a pinhead impression later on but um she's kind of one of those characters even though there's not many in the movie she doesn't really contribute much until just a bit of gore fest at the end, really. No, she doesn't, does she? Um, but yeah, we'll get to what she does to herself. It's pretty gnarly, though. <laughs> so um, Eric explains that per the book, the taker of souls must claim five souls to unleash the abomination. Natalie's arm becomes possessed and she amputates it. Mia must be purified by live burial, dismemberment or burning. The now-possessed Natalie attacks the pair with a nail gun, but David shoots her other arm off. Natalie bleeds to death from her injury. David begins dousing the cabin in gasoline, but decides to bury Mia instead. 
He digs a grave, but Mira attempts to drown him instead. Um, Eric is fatally stabbed. David sedates and buries Mia, but after hearing her heartbeat stop, digs her back up and attempts to um, resuscitate her. He finds Mira alive and enters the cabin to retrieve his car keys, but Eric's possessed corpse stabs him. David shoots a gasoline can, killing himself and Eric. So once again, there's literally no let-up in this movie. It's like loads of crazy, weird, sick shit. Then they stop for a little chat and like, all right, we're going to do this next. Then it all kicks off again. But um, yeah, old Natalie, it's pretty fucking grim what happens, what she starts doing now in the kitchen. Oh, it is, isn't it? I mean, it's the usual thing as well, where David, and you can see why it happens in all these films, and luckily, hopefully this thing would never happen in real life. He's still thinking it's his sister. They're like, no, we've got to fucking kill her. But I suppose you would be torn. You see it in all these zombie films and everything when you, you then people saying it's not really her, but you, it would be hard to let go. But he still seems convinced as well, David, that everyone's going to get out, doesn't he? He's like, yeah, it'll be all right tomorrow. We can all just go home. It's like, I don't think so, mate. <laughs> Yeah, so I have been keeping up with current events, to quote a classic line from a, a favourite of ours and stuff. Um, yeah, it's not going particularly well. And this is like the only time Eric tries to be, I don't know, somewhat fucking helpful. I mean, he eventually tells him what the fucking book's all about after he's been reading it while everyone else is being fucked over. But um, yeah, the bit with fucking, um, what's her face, Natalie and that nail gun is so fucking brutal. She's just absolutely blasting away at him and he's like, ooh, sort of like on the fucking floor as you would be. And her cutting her arm off. I know you haven't seen the original or maybe Evil Dead 2, but it's obviously a good nod to when Ash's hand becomes possessed, but unfortunately it doesn't have the over-the-top comedic value that um, Bruce Campbell brought to the scene where he's literally smashing plates over his head because his hand's possessed, which is fucking brilliant. But um, it actually looks more believably dirty and gnarly in this movie. Oh, it's fucking gruesome. I mean, I knew there's a scene just before where you saw the kitchen and there was that electric knife sat there and I had a feeling that's going to play a part. A bit like the necklace earlier that I, that I mentioned. I thought that that's going to... Someone's going to use that for something. But yeah, she sliced the fucking arm off of it. But I will say, I don't think a shitty knife like that would be powerful enough to <laughs> cut a human's arm off. But it does a bloody good job of it, doesn't it? it that's just... You've got a strained fucking belief with that, haven't you? I mean, I've had one of those yeah. electric bread knives and they're fucking shit. Like, so let alone... They don't even cut a slice of chicken, let alone someone's arm off and cutting through bone. But... I assume we got to just accept that her arm's gone zombified, so it's all squishy and weird. But one way or the other, she does cut her fucking arm off with a massive spray of fucking Clara going on about it. Yeah, and then Eric's obviously reading the book, and he sort of puts two and two together there, as the synopsis said, and tells everyone, you know, the five souls have got to die. But I'm thinking, you were wearing glasses at the start, and they got smashed when um, old Olivia attacked you, or whatever her name was. But he seems to be reading okay about his glasses, so maybe they weren't reading glasses, but maybe I'm just thinking a bit too much into that. Yeah. Well, I don't know. It's a movie. They, they never fucking make sense, do they? They never follow through properly. But obviously, all these. It's not meant to make sense. Sorry, is it, Brad? Well, sorry to cut across you there, but I don't think it's supposed to make a lot of sense, is it? It's not, yeah, we're not watching it for the rich, engaging plot, are we? We're watching it for all the fucking gnarly effects, which they do come thick and fast. Um, about this one but then obviously David's there dousing the cabin in gasoline and he's going to bury Mia and I did read somewhere I didn't read it fully but apparently this scene was shot several times so she spent a couple of days actually kind of being buried alive and obviously that bag over her head was generally a bag over her head I always think yeah they got safety people on um, set and all that sort of stuff and they probably practice it but I'd feel so fucking uncomfortable being like right I'm actually going to have a sack or like a bag put over my head and try and do a scene with it I'd just I don't know, as I've gotten older, I'm more claustrophobic now, and I just wouldn't feel comfortable on a movie set doing it. No, no, I wouldn't like that at all. No, it's nasty. Um, going back to the whole nail gun thing there, it's, 
more manhunt stuff, isn't it? Um, of a shameless yeah. plug, we did we did a film called Seventy One a few weeks back, which had some guys sneaking around manhunt style. This one's a bit more full on, but yeah, the nail gun did remind me of manhunt. What a great weapon that was! Yeah, it was. Yeah, sneaking out, waiting for the uh, the old uh, crosshair to go red so you get the ultra kill on it and stuff. Uh, what a fun game! Way. Yeah, I mean Eric also at this point he's fucking got about a thousand nails in him. It's quite gnarly when you see him pull a few out, and you see David pull a couple of out of his, his leg as well. But Eric's pretty much given up, hasn't he? When um, David gets him out, he's like, yeah, I'm, "I'm dead." No, he's like, "You don't want to die or something." He's like, "That's a pretty good uh, idea at the moment." I'm thinking, "Yeah, I'd have probably given up at that point too." Yeah, it's not going to be a good time for him one way or the other, is it? You kind of want to get it over with. But yeah, he's definitely been fucking pumped full of nails. And like I say, that's the main thing that Natalie achieves in this movie is sorting out Eric. So I'm kind of celebrating the fact that she shot him because he's a bell end. But at the same time, it's a bit harsh and a gnarly way to go. It certainly is. And then when David goes down to the cellar to, to get Mia, why does he go down there unarmed? I mean, I know he's still got that thing, this is my sister, but blatantly it isn't. And he goes down there completely unarmed. He's He's had a chainsaw in his hand earlier on, which will play a big part in a minute. And I'm thinking, I'd have fucking taken that down with me. I don't know about you. I'd have had the fucking shotgun down my pants. I'd have had the chainsaw. I'd have had the fucking bread knife. (laughs) I'd have had the whole lot. I'd have taken Natalie's hand. She can lend me a hand if she's fucking dead. I don't care. I'd have taken everything down there to go swinging. But um, yeah, I do like the fact that we have seen the chainsaw a couple of times. Because again, another nod to the original, the chainsaw plays a massive part in a bit of a classic weapon for Ash. And it does get a bit of use a bit later on in this film as well. Yeah, I mean, how does um, David hear Mia's heartbeat as well? He's buried her, and then he can hear her heartbeat. I'm not sure if that's possible. Yeah, through a layer of dirt, I'm really not sure. But um, again, I don't think we're supposed to think about that horror movie. No. <laughs> but when when she comes back, obviously, he tries to resuscitate her with a fucking battery charger or whatever it is, which is a pretty makeshift way of doing it, but that's all he had. So fair play for him, you know, for having a go. But after everything that's happened to her, she's been buried alive, she's been turned into a demon... She seems pretty coherent about life, doesn't she? She's like, oh, David, how are you and everything? I'm like, fuck me, you sound pretty normal again. Yeah, right. I mean, I don't know how I'd feel being through all the shit she's been through. But like you say, she kind of takes it takes it fairly casually. I know David kind of goes out of a bang quite literally, doesn't he? When old Eric kind of possessed corpse stabs him and then he shoots the gasoline can and blows up the cabin, leaving poor Mia just sat outside with fucking a haggard car after being, like you say, fucking... Buried alive, raped by a tree, fucking possessed, and Christ knows elsewhere, and just fucking sat there in the rain. Yeah, I mean, I reckon if David hadn't gone to get that photo, because um, he, he goes to get one off that board, doesn't he? And that's when Eric's behind him. If he hadn't fucking stopped to do that, he might not have got stabbed, because he was on his way out. When he sees it, doesn't he? He sort of stops in his tracks, gets the photo, turns around, and there's Eric behind him, who obviously then attacks him. Um, and that shotgun certainly done the round, didn't it? I mean... Looks like it's only a fucking two barrel or double barrel shotgun, but it seems to have unlimited bullets. It does. Someone must have put the fucking cheat in for that or something. <laughs> it's always the way in these movies, isn't it? They have like a gun. And it's like, oh, yeah, specifically a shotgun, which again, a nod to the weapon they're using the original, but no one ever fucking reloads it. It's a fair play to them. Yeah. I mean, I don't think they've even thought or even had time to reload it, but yeah, it's definitely had more than two uh, bullets in it. <laughs> so with David's death being the fifth claimed soul, Blood begins to rain from the sky and the abomination attacks Mia in a demonic doppelganger. Mia severs the abomination's legs with a chainsaw, but it overturns David's jeep on her left arm, crushing it in the process. After Mia's hand gets torn off from her freeing herself, she bisects the abomination's head with a chainsaw before it sinks back into the ground and the rain stops. An exhausted Mia leaves, unaware of the Necronomicon is still intact. 
And in the post credit scene, for anyone who stuck around for it, we see a little cameo from Groovy Bruce himself reprising his role as Ash Williams as he lights a cigarette, looks at the camera and says, Groovy. But um, before we get to all that, this end scene, I fucking love. It's just so ridiculous. There's that typical horror movie chase. Like she goes through, she's being chased by a doppelganger. She crawls through this random tunnel, turns up in the fucking shed when it just happens to be a chainsaw and she's trying to obviously put the the petrol in it and then a fucking hand gets crushed by the car. She pulls her fucking hand off and then chainsaws the abomination and fuck me, the amount of blood they use is just fucking ridiculous, but it looks amazing, I think. Oh, it's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, she looks pretty normal, doesn't she, before this kicks off. Then she finds a necklace that I mentioned at the start, which she knew she would. Um, oh, she had thrown it away, hadn't she, at one point when David started being a dick to her, but obviously yeah. it landed outside and she finds it. Um, and yeah, as you said there, she calls down this hole, which is, I think, where the dog had gone, isn't it? Where um, David first saw poor old grandpa. But yeah. I don't think I'd have crawled down there, but handy she did, because she finds a chainsaw. It's got no fuel in it. Then she looks up and sees that little jar of fuel above her. And then conveniently, it knocks into her hands and she fills the chainsaw up. But yeah, it just goes fucking mental from here. There's one bit that I thought she crawls under the Jeep, but she's still trying to start the chainsaw at this point. And um, so she's under this Jeep, so she hasn't really got much room to breathe. And she's got the chainsaw between her legs and she's trying to fucking fire it up. I'm thinking that's only going to end in tears, but luckily for her, it doesn't. <laughs> I'm thinking if that was real life, you would not... You know, that chainsaw, because obviously they kick back a bit when you start them. That's just going to end in disaster. Yeah, and this is a proper hag, an old school chainsaw. It doesn't seem to have any of like the sort of safety harness or anything no. like that. It's just proper old school. But you saying there about how she catches the fuel, that is so fucking like, sort of thing Arnie would do. Like she's huddled in this yeah. fucking corner, looking at the, it keeps cutting to like the hole to respecting the fucking abomination to appear for a little jump scare, which it does. And she kind of like kicks the shelf and the fucking thing falls off perfectly. She flips in midair and she catches it in her hand. And it's like, fuck off. That would not happen. Nah, it's good though, isn't it? I mean, this film has, although it's gruesome, it has got a fair amount of cheese in it as well. I mean, when she fucking rips her hand off, because the Jeep tips over and I thought, oh, this is going to be one of those things where she just about gets away. But I was like, shit, no, her fucking hand's trapped underneath that. And then the thing's coming towards her and in the end she just fucking rips it off. I'm like, my God, that is gruesome. It fucking is. And it's, again, that practical effects really make this because you see like the fucking flesh tan and the tendons mm. pulling and all that stuff. And it's like, I was fucking, I always cringe when I watch this bit because, I mean, it doesn't go as ridiculous as the original because Ash loses his hand after it becomes possessed and he just attaches a chainsaw to his hand. I mean, that's how fucking stupid the original one is. It becomes like a chainsaw hand. Um, but she doesn't quite go that far, but she fucking yanks it off and then fights the abomination. And then that, just an end bit where she like fucking shoves the chainsaw in his head and just, loads of blood just fucking sprays up and it's raining blood it's just fucking insane but i love it <laughs> it goes on for quite a while doesn't it and um, it she's like feast on this motherfucker and just shoves the chainsaw through his head and just slices it in half and it just oh it's brilliant um yeah. i mean again she seems pretty cool again about this well after the abomination's dead it's sunk back into the ground she's got fucking her hand missing surely she'd be bleeding out but she seems pretty chilled out about the whole thing again well, I was thinking that. She hasn't, like, cauterised the wound or anything, has she? Yeah. She probably would have, like, fucking bled to death or just died from exhaustion from everything she's been through. So I assume it just takes place over 24 hours because they turn up at the cabin, shit kicks off, and this is pretty much just one night at the cabin, isn't it, really? It certainly looks like it. I mean, just the shock of ripping your arm off would probably be enough to, you know, send your body into seizure. I don't know, but we're not supposed to think about that, are we? And 
I did stick around because I had the synopsis in front of me for bits of this. So I did stick around to see the old um, Ash appearance. Not that I'm um, really coherent with the first one. Although you mentioning things about it, the chainsaw hands and all that. Yeah, I think I have seen it. Bits like that did sort of jog my memory a little bit. But um, yeah, it does appear he's part of the Groovy gang as well, doesn't it? It does, yeah. I mean, I use the word Groovy a lot, just it's part of my general kind of day-to-day language. And I, a lot of people always always ask me, it's like, oh, did you get that from Austin Powers? I'm like, no, I got it from Groovy Bruce from growing up watching movies I shouldn't have done. And yeah, I've always used the term Groovy pretty much since I was like a young kid, ever since I first saw Evil Dead, really. So I'm glad uh, the Groovy is staying alive in this franchise. I actually started using it because of our mate Rodney Trotter, to be honest, and the old uh, Groovy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just before we wrap up, this whole fucking film really stemmed from a heroin addiction, which proves it's bad, folks. Don't fucking do it. Well, yeah, because you're either going to get fucking the chainsaw between your legs, tree between <laughs> your legs, or your fucking hands coming off. So, yeah, <laughs> don't do drugs, is, <laughs> as JT said, is the message of this movie. <laughs> Pretty much. And don't read fucking dodgy books that look like fucking Madonna's face on the front of it because they're never going to lead you anywhere good either. So. If you find a book bound with barbed wire, probably means it's not one to be reading. <laughs> and on that note, let's, um, that, that concludes our synopsis at least. Um, so let's give this one some scores. So um, it's my choice. So I will go first on this one. So, yeah, I mean... I entered this movie the first time I saw it, that is when I heard they're even making it with a bit of trepidation. As I said before, I'm not a huge fan of remakes because 90% of the time they're just shit and really poor imitations of obviously what their originals. And I don't really like modern horror movies. There's usually just too much CGI or just too much crap in them that they don't even like focus on being entertaining. They're just trying to do too much. And horror movies aren't about that. They're about quick fire, you know, gore fest or fang bang or whatever you want to fucking call it um they're just supposed to be entertaining for a little while i was gladly surprised when i went to the cinema and saw this because i fucking loved it i thought it was brilliant and it nodded perfectly towards what the original attempted to be it modernized it in the right way but it stayed respectful in the fact that it didn't try and do anything too clever it stuck to practical effects it kept stuck to mainly annoying characters a heroine who just runs around screaming and getting into trouble for most of the movie and a shit ton of blood. Um, yeah, there's not really much more to say about this movie. It's an hour and a half of just pure fucking chaos. And it's definitely one of the best modern horror movies out there, even though it is a remake. And um, yeah, I love it. I think Jane Levy, I think that's how you say her name. I'm not too sure. Um, I think she's brilliant as Mia in this. And the director I'm quite fond of. I've seen a couple of his other films and he is good at horror which makes me slightly upbeat about like what he might produce from an alien movie. Um, obviously time will tell on that one. It's out next year, but I have got my fingers crossed that he manages to pull it out of the hat. So this movie, as we said, yeah, it hits all the cliches, but then it's a remake of a movie that invented the cliches. So you have to give it a bit of a pass on that one. It was pretty much the original cabin in the woods, horror movie. And yeah, like Eric's a complete bellend, Olivia's a complete tosser, David's a complete moron, and Natalie's fucking useless, and Mia's just a really unlucky protagonist, basically. That pretty much sums up all the characters. And the poor dog croaks it, which is obviously heartbreaking, and I don't like it when they do that in films. But all that aside, I think it's brilliant, and I have to give this one four others because I love watching it. Um, it's an hour and a half, well worthy of your time, especially now we're in spooky season. It's on Netflix, so if you haven't seen it, do yourself a favour and check it out. Four others from me, JT. What about yourself? Oh, good stuff, Bread Roll. Well, this is not the film I'd normally be interested in, hence why I've never seen it. 
um, even though it's 10 years old now. And I didn't think I'd seen the original, but now I think I probably did. But I've certainly never seen it once. So, so yeah, having said that, I'm really glad I did watch it. I mean, it was a perfect Sunday afternoon entertainment, wasn't it? I mean, what more could you ask for on a Sunday afternoon? I mean, <laughs> all the characters were annoying, apart from Mia. But it wasn't really her fault, because she spent the whole film being a demon. So she escaped being annoying. Um, but that's not being derogatory to the actors, although David was a bit bland. I mean, they were just fodder at the end, weren't they? Just be put there to die in a gory way, really. And I don't think you're supposed to bond with them in these sort of films. Um, but yeah, they were all fucking annoying. But there we go. That's part of this, isn't it? It was an absolute gore fest and it looked fucking brilliant. I thought the effects were amazing. The the body horror and the, you know, the lack of CGI really, really helped this film. And I did genuinely cringe, as we've said a few times during the synopsis, there are bits on this where I was like, oh my God, nearly had to cover my eyes. That's how bad it was. Great running time, 90 minutes, perfectly suited for this genre. Definitely didn't outstay its welcome. Um, it just doesn't let up, does it, from start to finish? Um, it's just full on, and there's no messing about with this one. So, overall, as I said at the start of that there, I would never have thought about watching this, but I'm bloody glad I did. I did really enjoy it. And I said to you last night, and I alluded at the start of this podcast, that I said I'd, I'd give it one other automatically just because of the fact it was an hour and a half. So, with that in mind... I was originally going to give it three others, but I'm going to have to agree with you, Bradwell. I'm going to have to give this four others as well, because just going back through this synopsis, it's fucking brilliant, isn't it? It's just great entertainment. And for any fans of the splatter horror gore fest, I'm sure everyone's already seen it if you're a fan of that sort of genre. I mean, I'm no massive expert on the genre at all. Don't get me wrong. I've seen a few here and there, but this has got to be one of the best. So yeah, I'm going to give it four as well, Bradwell. Great choice. Oh, brilliant. Oh, no, that's that's broken the cycle. We've been bumbling around with sort of <laughs> three others here and there for weeks on end now. And um, I think it's the first time I've given something four others in about a month or so. So um, but mainly, I'm just really glad you enjoyed it. I had a feeling you would just because I thought, I know it's not your type of thing, but it's so ridiculous and over the top, you're bound to enjoy it. And for an hour and a half, it's got to be, like you say, you gave it one other just for that. So yeah, really glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, I think it was just the whole fact that it didn't take itself too seriously. Obviously, like you said, it's a heart back to the original, which I'm not that sort of up on at all. But yeah, some of these modern horror films, they take themselves too seriously or they're just so fucking stupid, they're just not fun. Um, but this, spot on. Yeah, couldn't fault it. Well, I could have done yeah. it. I was have given it five, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's quite up there with a five, I no, no, because I didn't put it into like Star Wars and Alien territory. And as good as it is, it's not quite up there as a legendary movie. Maybe in 30 years we'll revisit it and it might still be a winner. But um, yeah, we'll see. Four others, I think, is a fair one for this one. Brilliant. I don't think we'll be doing this podcast in 30 years, bread roll, but you never know. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. Absolutely. But um, that is our look at Evil Dead. Uh, let us know what you think of this movie, if you're a fan or not a fan. Um, or if you're going to check it out on Netflix, where it is at the moment, give us a shout at the Hyperbaric Goats on X and join us next week because we're going for five weeks in a row. I mean, fuck me. I mean, miracle of it happens. But um, what have you picked for us, JT? Well, Breadroll, I'm sure you will have seen this film, but I only saw this recently because I had it in completely the wrong genre. Um, I thought it was a Western, so I'd never bothered to fucking watch it. Then I was listening to the um, Projector Room boys, shout out to them. And they were talking about it, and they sort of likened it to Breaking Bad. And that is a shameless plug for a new podcast we've got coming out. If you heard the trailer last week, it will be airing in the next couple of weeks. So stay tuned for that. So I'm putting forward No Country for Old Men, Bread Roll. Because I watched it while I was working the other day, 
and I really want to watch it again and analyse it a bit more. Have you seen it? I have seen it. I've seen it twice, not in recent memory, but yeah, the um, I'm quite a big fan of this movie and I've never watched it with the idea to actually pick it apart and maybe analyse it a bit. So that is a great shout because it is a bloody good movie and it's got a fucking awesome cast in it as well. Some of them only sort of cameo quality, but yeah, yeah, good shout. What's it on at the moment, um, streaming wise? Yeah, it's on Netflix. Let's hope it stays there for another week. But yeah, I literally watched it while I was working, thinking I don't know why. I just thought it was a western from the title that had never appealed to me before. But um, yeah, so I thought we'll have a look at that one. Ah, good stuff. Well, there we go. No country for old men coming at you next week. Um, yeah, looking forward to that one. Good show. And this is Bread Roll signing off. And for me, JT, I've just got one last thing to say. I can smell your filthy soul. Ah, Bread Roll. I tell you what. Uh, we've done all 64 episodes of Only Fools and Horses. We've had the summer off. We've still got the movie podcast going on, but these like spin-off ones doing all these episodes, I think I'm done, mate. I'm absolutely done with these. What do you reckon? Yeah, man, I was thinking the same thing. I mean, we've done the greatest show of all time. There's not really anything else left to do, is there? I mean, who's that get over there with the funny hat on? Oi, mate, we're just talking. I just said we're done. We're done when I say we're done. Thank you.